In these bleak days, humanity is at a breaking point. Economies are tanking. The woke mob is canceling everything. And the little guy who's just trying to run a small business is getting screwed from both ends. But not all is lost. Amidst the chaos, two men offer up their voices in the darkness, dropping 2,000-pound laser-guided truth bombs on today's lunacy. Introducing the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. Buddy, there you have it. A, uh, a continued happy new year to you and to everyone. Some might be wondering why we chose to go with Bruce Springsteen, who you know is collectively not our favorite. Um, but Tunnel of Love is is meaningful here because you are performing the ultimate act of love, an act of sacrifice. You are burrowing your way like the tunnel rats of yore from the Vietnam era under the capital of the United States in an effort to find someone who can be the Speaker of the House, burrowing your way in to be a voice of reason in what has become just a farce of a government. And speaking for the rest of America, buddy, I applaud your effort. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. I'll do anything for the show. The quality of sound down here in the sub-basement of the Capitol is not ideal. It's not great. It sounds like I'm in a wind tunnel, but uh, we're down here trying to find the next speaker or someone who could pretend to be the next speaker or someone who could pretend to know who's pretending to be the next speaker. And uh, at some point, we're going to we're going to figure it out. And I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving until we do that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. But I know you won't. Uh, some would argue that uh, we've been pretending to have a speaker of the House for, you know, the last four or five, six years. Uh, and they wouldn't be wrong. Uh, but unfortunately, the way our government is set up, you might be wondering, well, who cares who the Speaker of the House is? And, and that is a reasonable position to take, especially given um, the quality of leadership that one has found in that position of late. But in case you have not hit your high school civics textbook recently, the Speaker of the House is third in line to command the country, right? You've got the president mm -hmm. and then the vice president and then the speaker of the house. And given who the president and vice presidents are currently, uh, the speaker of the house could come into play. And, uh, you know, at least as of the time you and I are talking here and you are continuing to chisel away in your tunnel, there is no speaker of the house. What an absolute circus. But of course, this is David Pridham and Brad Chief. Uh, we are back here for the new year on our big show. And uh, Brad, we mean business this year. 2023, we mean business. We're all about business. Uh, we're all about spreadsheets, PowerPoints, uh, payrolls, how to get your employees deployed in certain tactical formations, uh, mm -hmm. and how to survive in this year where we have no Speaker of the House so far. And it's, listen, this is, we, we, this is the longest we've gone without a Speaker of the House since there's been a house. Yeah, a house of, of any type, buddy. And, and it's, a, uh, it's a little disconcerting, not so much in the fact that there isn't a Speaker of the House. I mean, that is in and of itself marginally disconcerting, but just in the level of jackassery within our government. I mean, this is a country that if you, know, you and I chose to do it, 
If we chose to just sort of walk through all of the things this country has done in its history, the amount of history it has made, the, you know, the amount of, of innovations, of global leadership, I mean, we, we might not stop for a week. And yet this is where we have arrived with our government, no one to blame but ourselves, obviously. I mean, that is the, the downside, if you will, of a democracy is that if you look at your government and say, geez, what a bunch of, of just clowns are running the show, got to look in the mirror because we voted for these people. Uh, but but I, I, we will somehow find a way. I mean, the only time you and I are not talking about business this year, it's when we're talking about the business of business. Correct. And of course, you can uh, learn more about our show on our website, ipfrequently.com. Follow us anywhere you get your social media, uh, whether it's the InstaFace, the Twitter, the TikTok, um, the Facebook, the MySpace, at IP underscore frequently, because of course we do. And uh, if you uh, are more of a podcast guy or gal, you can uh, remember to get us anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, Subscribe, rate, review, recommend, and then do it all over again. And of course, um, the preferred uh, landing spot for our podcast listeners is the Salem Podcast uh, Network, where I think we're sandwiched between some of the most conservative uh, podcasts in America. And uh, we're not afraid to say that we are the number one show currently on the Salem Podcast Network. No, we can say that as often as we'd like. And we just and we just have. Uh, and yeah. now, Brad, we want to start the new year off. We're talking about really news. And one of the resolutions that I think you and I both made is to really enforce the policy that says the people who listen to this podcast need to write down everything we say and then take that material and go to the office and parrot back word for word what we say to their coworkers. And they'll look a lot smarter. Right. Don't go with the mm-hmm. typical stuff. Don't read the New York Times or the the Des Moines Register or whatever it is, uh, your, whatever rag you're reading, put that down, cancel that subscription, get a couple of Bic pens, fine point, probably, uh, get, a, uh, get a piece of paper, write down what we say, take the piece of paper to work, and then read it to your coworkers word for word, and you will literally be the smartest gal or guy in that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless, of course, there's someone mm-hmm. else in that room who listens to us, and then there's going to seem to be an echo in there, but that's fine. I mean, everyone else in your office needs to hear it at least once. And if they hear it twice, so much the better. And listen, and so what we want to do is we want to start off the new year, right? And and if there are two of you reading from the same sheet of music, listen, that is a choir, my friend, a choir of beautiful music where people are agreeing with one another, really in in terms of what the truth is. Um, Moving on to the, uh, this new Congress, of course, we are still, um, you know, searching out who the speaker will be. Uh, the Republicans have a five-seat majority, and uh, one of those five seats I give you, um, Representative-elect, I guess they haven't uh, sworn them in yet, <clears throat> George Santos, who uh, won a seat in uh, in uh, New York, he actually flipped a Democratic district, um, and it has now come out that Santos um, basically, and I don't know if you've seen this story or not, basically made up his entire resume from his uh, schooling background, to his work background, to the fact that uh, um, he, he said his mother died in 9-11 terrorist attacks. Um, he said he attended certain schools he didn't attend. Uh, and uh, uh, so complete, complete fraud. Um, really not that, um, uh, you know, not that much different than, uh, you know, the president of the United States who made up a lot of things. But it seems like this guy's actually gone the extra uh, mile to basically lie about everything, uh, and then to um, 
uh, come to find out that his campaign spending um, included, uh, let's see, $14,000 at a uh, Queens uh, Italian restaurant called Il Bacco, where he had a couple of nice meals, and $38,000 crisscrossing the country on a private uh, airplane. Um, so it seems like, and, and you know, at this point, the Republicans are sort of between a rock and a hard place here because they need every vote, and this guy is going to get seated. But what does it say about us when someone can completely make up every aspect of their resume and uh, get elected to Congress? People, first of all, no one found out is amazing, but uh, now they find out and uh, he gets seated anyway. But as you pointed out, I'm surprised he's not the president. I mean, that that seems to be the pathway to the Oval Office is, you know, plagiarize, make up nonsense, say whatever you want appeal to whatever crowd you think is in front of you by, you know, literally just making things up and then, you know, find yourself as the president of the United States. So frankly, I'm surprised that he's in the lower house that one would suspect with his ability to make stuff up and use it for political expediency, he would at least be a senator, if not, as we've talked about, the president of the United States, because that's certainly what Joe Biden did. And, and, and your other point is the one that I find baffling. I mean, I've looked at this story a little bit. I don't really care about, you know, congressman from, from New York. I don't live there. It's not my deal. I didn't vote for the guy. I wasn't in a position to vote for the guy. But but in this day and age, especially given that he, you know, purports to be, who knows what he actually is, since he seems to make everything about himself up, he purports to be a conservative guy. Where was all the liberal press that loves to tear conservative guys and gals down? Where were they? It seems like it would have been child's play, given the just extent to which this guy went in making stuff about himself up, where was the, the media in, in just exposing that prior to the election? You would have thought they would have had a field day with that. Plus, you know, they would have taken another, you know, more liberal leaning seat in Congress. So I, that is the part that I, that I don't get. How did this guy get away with this? But I, you know, maybe the best question is, well, just who cares, right? I mean, the, the Congress has become such a clown show that I, I'm almost tempted to leave, you know, the guy alone. Look at the, you know, the the ability he has displayed to BS his way into a situation, right? I, given what the Congress is today, I think those are probably the skills you're looking for, and he has displayed them about as colorfully as you possibly can, right? And so, I, since Congress has given up being a legislative body, given up even purporting to be a serious group of people, why not just leave? Make him the Speaker of the House. Yeah, yeah. I guess he's lied about everything, including being gay. I guess he's not gay. <laughs> he lied about being gay, Oof. and um, he also. <laughs> as, and now they're looking at his campaign finances, and he received a bunch of campaign money from a donor linked to the Kremlin, and after receiving. <laughs> After listening to this, after receiving that donation, he started he started to bash Ukraine on the campaign trail. So listen, I uh, I think the, I think he's going to uh, I think he's going to fit in quite uh, quite nicely. Uh, finally, Brad, we've got a couple of folks that didn't make it uh, to the new year or made it just to the cusp of the new year that, that we have to talk about in our RIP report. One is uh, the retired Pope Benedict um, Ratzinger, Ratzinger, papers, please. And um, the other is the great late Barbara Walters, of course, the founder of The View, the first female anchor of a uh, um, of a, a, a big three network uh, nightly news show. She anchored the ABC nightly news in the 70s. Remember Harry Reasoner, who went on to 60 Minutes fame? 
yeah. he uh, he uh, anchored that show with her, and they hated each other. And you could just you could just tell the hatred was oozing out of the um, pores of both of them during those broadcasts. Um, but uh, iconic uh, trailblazing uh, newswoman, she always had the big uh, uh, scoop. She always interviewed everyone from Princess Diana, Muhammad Ali, on and on. Um, uh, but really a, a, a trailblazer with a lisp, mind you, with a lisp. Um, but the biggest thing she's contributed in the last 25 years is the founding of The View, which is one of the worst shows on TV. That was just cackling, cackling, you know, liberal women just hounding uh, conservatives and just 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 cackling. Um, so for that, I mean, she should probably be barred or banned. Um, but do you see a link between the death of Barbara Walters and the Pope? You know, but I'm, I, I, I'm not sure that I do. I mean, maybe they had some kind of a suicide pact. I mean, I believe she interviewed uh, good Pope Benedict at some point in his career, and maybe, you know, they hit it off, just decided the world would not be worth living in without each other, and, uh, you know, implemented a convoluted and complex suicide pact. Other than that, I'm, I'm not sure I see a connection there. Well, I mean, again, I, we have to explore all these things because today's RIP report can become tomorrow's unsolved mystery, Brad, if you know what I mean. That often does. Often does. It does. Brad, uh, whenever we look at the mess that is travel, the travel industry these days, we talk about the airlines and how the airlines are absolutely uh, unable to keep uh, their uh, flight uh, times. They're unable to, they're canceling flights. Southwest Airlines canceled. 50% of its flights over the holidays, a couple of days. So people are generally mad, but nothing, yeah. nothing, Brad, um, is more upsetting than when plus size people uh, can't fit into their airline seats. And, and we've seen this time and time again, people who get the extenders on the seatbelts um, uh, now have a place to air their grievances. A court in Brazil has ordered Qatar Airlines. Qatar Airlines, of course, is the airlines of choice Brad, for Al-Qaeda. And uh, most of the people in Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, Brad, the Taliban fly Qatar Airlines. Mm -hmm. uh, a court in Brazil, I believe it was a federal district court, although I'm not 100% sure, has ordered Qatar Airlines to pay for psychotherapy for a plus-size model. They repeatedly, uh, they reportedly refused to board because she was, quote-unquote, too fat. Uh, this is an influencer, Juliana Nimi, 38 years old, uh, weighs approximately 367 pounds and uh she was uh not allowed to board her flight between beirut and doha um because of her weight uh, there's a video out there it's gone viral she was told by the folks in um uh in in um uh, at the qatari airlines that uh, she was just too fat to get on the flight they uh she didn't purchased two seats i guess she could have got on if she purchased two seats um but uh so she went home to brazil and she sued cutter airlines and uh now she is um in the process of getting psychotherapy and uh cutter airlines is gonna have to pay for that brad and uh as she uh as she should it doesn't look like she's missed many um good lord it doesn't look like she's missed many meals um but uh they're gonna be paying for her psychotherapy um, probably could get her a gym membership and that might be more beneficial to this lady. But uh, what do you think about that? Do you think this sends the right message? Well, but, but I, I don't, I guess I would have to understand what the psychotherapy is for, right? I mean, if she's simply getting psychotherapy because she's claiming she was, 
I, I don't know what, I, I mean, is, was this the first time anyone told her that she was, you know, sort of larger than is normally the case? I mean, was she, you know, flouncing through life thinking, well, this is, you know, this is fine. This is usual. And then, you know, she suddenly came to an abrupt mental halt when the folks from oh, the God. airlines there said, wow, I don't think you can fit in our seat. I mean, I, I, so I guess I, I don't really know what the psychotherapy is supposed to be for. If it's supposed to help her, you know, sort of get herself to a position where she can be more comfortably and safely seated on an airline, then, you know, I mean, I guess I'm all for her having the therapy. I don't know what the Qatari airlines did wrong. I mean, was there, did they, did they say something that was not true? Uh, did they imply something that was not true? And I guess my question, I, I, you know, there's a couple of questions here. One, why are we as a society pretending that it's not unbelievably unhealthy to be that size, right? I mean, you know, <clears throat> if you've never heard of it before, a pound of fat is a mile of capillaries, okay, give or take. So for every pound of unnecessary fat you are carrying, your heart is pushing blood through a mile of vessels that, that you don't you don't need, your body doesn't need. And so that, that stress on your heart is stress on your joints. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, the, the litany of, of things that are unhealthy about being grossly overweight is, you know, long and distinguished. And, you know, we do people a disservice when we pretend like that's not true. It is true. Secondly, why in this, we've just totally lost sight of this in, in our culture, certainly in the West and potentially globally, we've lost sight of the fact that while we believe in freedom and you can live your life the way you want, the choices you make should not be allowed to negatively influence other people around you just because you want to be you, right? You want to be you, that's fine. You do you. We're sort of about that in our you know free democratic societies where they exist. But the moment that you being you impedes on someone else being them, now you've got you know a conflict there, and the moment you can't fit in your seat, it means you're going to sort of, you know, impede on some other poor bastard who does fit in his seat and is going to have to you know be next to you. Why is that not an equal consideration? Right? You want to you know get yourself to three sixty seven, and potentially you know, play nose guard for the jets that, that, that is fine. You do that. You're welcome to do that. But the moment that the guy next to you can't get in his seat because you can't get into yours, why should your concerns outweigh his or hers? Right. I mean, I, we have just lost that concept in, in our culture. Right. And so, uh, you know, now looking at the pictures of this young lady, God bless her. She's <laughs> chosen to live the way she's chosen to live. I'm, I'm glad that she can influence people. I don't know to do what, but I don't know why I should have to, you know, turn sideways in my airline seat so that she can fit in hers. Well, well how, how does that work? Well, airline obesity policies, Brad, differ a little bit, but they basically say that if you don't fit in a seat with a two foot uh, extension seatbelt and the armrest down, you'll be charged for two seats or removed from the plane. I mean, that seems pretty fair to me. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it, it wasn't enough. And, and I think she was also arguing she should get that second seat for free, which um, seems a little counter uh, counterintuitive there. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, and she's well on her way to needing a third free seat. And I think you certainly have to draw the line there.
And then again, folks should write that down and take it to their uh, whatever parties they have, whatever you're celebrating at this point, take it, take, take them, laminate the note card if you take down the notes properly and then go. Uh, next, Brad, uh, big news uh, for probably uh, about uh, what, what effectively is 10% or so of our listenership. But uh, new studies out, Brad, new studies uh, show that uh, coming off of uh, birth control pills um, uh, by women uh, are now starting or coming off birth control pills by women results in women, quote, turning gay, uh, turning gay. And um, so this is something, who's crazy is that? This is a this is a new. Well, there are a couple of things here. These, this okay. is a there are studies. There's a 2013 study <laughs> that recruited um, 55 straight women and used a computer program in a lab that allowed them to manipulate human features and photographs of men and women that they'd like to date. And after they t- this is similar to other studies we've looked at before. Um, and after the women took the pill and then came off the pill, the birth control pill, uh, a number of them said that they preferred the uh company of women as opposed to men. And in addition, Brad, women have, quote, shared their experiences on Reddit threads, which I think is an Internet mm. thing. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, claiming that starting or stopping birth control, quote, woke up a part of their sexuality that had been asleep for years. And so the uh, concern is, Brad, that uh, somehow um, women who take the pill, uh, <clears throat> uh, the pill is making them like other women in a sexual way. All right. Once again, I'm, I'm in a position where I'm going to have to ask a, a few questions before I can respond. So sure. is it, is it taking or coming off or is it that you have to start and then stop? Well, listen, I think these studies are not exactly scientific. Okay. Well, I completely agree with that. Yeah. So that's one thing to ask. There are some, um, if you look at the, if you look at the, the um, literature on this, Right. And if you actually read the reports, <laughs> um, the basically, there's literature on this. Yes. Yeah. These computer, computer uh-huh. programs, um, you know, they, they show, uh-huh. as I said, that women um, are more likely to like the less masculine faces of men than more masculine. Like, for example, the Marlboro man. Right. You yeah. take a picture of the Marlboro man, you put slap it in front of a woman on a pill. They're going to try to take away the stubble, maybe the tobacco coat on the teeth. Maybe uh, soften up the eyes a little bit, have softer eyebrows. You know what I mean? You, you understand where I'm going with this, like a Liberace, you know, type deal. Okay. Well, there, I, yeah. So it's it's the taking and coming off. So I I guess I don't. I mean, maybe this has something to do with an increase in estrogen or a decrease in estrogen or whatever it's going on there. I find it hard to believe, given the total number of women in the world who are on birth control and then come off of birth control, that, that this is going to be a significant statistically significant percentage. But, uh, but what do I know? I guess if you're a guy and your woman has begun taking birth control, um, you're going to have to, you know, shave more frequently and maybe moose your hair when she comes off. I mean, I guess that's the lesson that we're learning here. Yeah. And if you're and if your girl's asking you to go get many petties and get your eyebrows waxed and, and uh, you know, maybe start wearing women's blouses, don't do that. Well, I mean, it's also serves as a good warning, right? Because if she's asking you those things, you know, she has come off the birth control. Right. So if that was an agreed upon thing and you're looking to have a child, then good for you. But if it wasn't, 
if she might be trying to, you know, slide one past you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about. Well, then these are warning signs. If she's busted out the fingernail polish and she's trying to get it on you and she's oh telling you, you got to shave a little closer. She's looking to become, you know, pregnant. Be careful. Correct. there, Brad, next we uh, listen. One of the things I used to love to do when I was young is I'd go visit the uh, the homes of the presidents in 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 Washington D.C. You'd go to the White House. You'd go to Mount Vernon. Uh, you would go to uh, Monticello Correct. and uh, learn more about these great leaders. Well, the ten year effort to overhaul the exhibits at the home of Thomas Jefferson um, uh, Monticello to provide a more balanced view of uh, Thomas. Jefferson, that 10-year effort is over. Recent visitors to Monticello, which is just a beautiful, uh, beautiful estate in uh, Virginia. Um, uh, recent visitors have described the exhibits as uh, those that go out of their way to criticize Jefferson, to besmirch him. And um, you know, they are uh, they're, they're somewhat aghast by the folks trying to sort of frame the whole Monticello experience as you know, really the home of a race, racist um, slave owner and nothing more, someone who really didn't contribute anything to this, uh, to this country. For example, there is a lot of critical race theory now that's been adopted into the, um, uh, into the tours of Monticello, uh, focused primarily on slavery as an institution, which we all abhor, but focusing the entire Jefferson legacy on that. And, uh, you know, they've said uh, in, 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 in context, they are, uh, our goal is the folks at the Monticello Museum, and I believe it is a museum. Our goal is to present an honest, inclusive history of Monticello in all aspects, as well as as well as Jefferson's contributions to the founding of the um, uh, you know, of the um, of the country. And, and so I guess they've got a bunch of woke people now, Brad working there. And so, you know, one example is they have these guided slavery tours and, um, you know, guided slavery tours where you just basically go and learn more about slavery and the oppression that Jefferson brought. And I guess a lot of the people giving the tour are some of these BLM activists who uh, are not really talking at all about anything that Jefferson contributed to the uh, to the uh, country, but they're, they're focused more on the whole question of slavery, which certainly has uh, importance and there's value to discuss it. But it seems like we have completely moved away from everything that Jefferson did. There aren't focuses on the Declaration of Independence or his presidency and the Louisiana Purchase. Um, in fact, in one report uh, of a, uh, a person that visited Monticello, they said that one of the young tour guides just did nothing but besmirched um, uh, Jefferson's uh, legacy and, and, and his contributions to the country. The young tour guides basically did everything they could to defame him, going so far as to say, and I quote, Jefferson never really contributed much to this, uh, to this country uh, when asked about Jefferson's inventions. Because if, again, Brad, we focus on IP. The uh, tour guide said he wasn't really an inventor. He was more of a tinkerer and didn't really contribute much. Uh, so, Brad, it seems like the woke rebellion has reached the steps of the hollowed grounds of Monticello. Again, my friend, uh, keep it up, right? I mean, keep it up. Ask yourself this, if you happen to be working at Monticello, why are people showing up 
and paying the fee to go to your museum to listen to you talk because they want to hear Jefferson just be run into the ground and no discussion of his contributions to the early history of this country in which we all enjoy living or, you know, because they just want to hear you run your, you know, 20 year old mouth about things you know nothing about, right? So keep it up. And what will eventually happen is you, you can just sit there all day long while crickets chirp and no one comes because the word's going to get out that the museum sucks and has been taken over by, you know, a bunch of, of woke folks and no one's going to go. And then hopefully what will happen is the museum will be bought or transferred or something into folks who once again want to take a historical perspective of who Thomas Jefferson was. And it's fine to highlight the fact that Thomas Jefferson wasn't perfect. I'm not certain that anybody thinks he was. It is fine to highlight the fact that like the vast majority of landowners in the South of this country, he owned slaves and that, you know, he was a man of his time in that sense and perhaps did not do everything he possibly could have to speak out against that. And it is fine to raise all those issues so long as you're also highlighting certain things like the Declaration of Independence, the Louisiana Purchase, the fact that he was the Secretary of State and the President of the United States in a very instrumental period in our history. I mean, it's just, it's amazing, bud, that people who, while at one, on, on the one hand, are claiming to want to be true to history, while on the other hand are discounting everything that doesn't meet the orthodox narrative. And it, as you said, I mean, it's on, sadly, it's gotten all the way out to Thomas Jefferson's house. Yeah, it's too bad. And it seems like a lot of people, Brad, in the peanut gallery are, uh, you know, starting to take over some of the fine institutions. And you, you would think that some of this should be uh, off limits, but nothing, nothing is. Um, but listen, it, 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 at this point, it is what it is. We'll 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 deal with it, uh, da- I guess, down the road. Uh, excited next to get to Unsolved Mysteries, Brad. Of course, uh, this is where Brad and I solve uh, definitively. Uh, unsolved mysteries, and you can just put them aside. You don't have to even think about them anymore because they are solved. This week, Brad, of course, the city of Atlantis uh, was at the center of uh, a uh, an underwater, now underwater empire described of having an enormous harbor, uh, big wall, huge entrance pillars, and a big temple to the god Poseidon um, mm. in its, um, in its uh, capital city. It has now been discovered on the Liliokani Ridge uh, near the Isle of Midway in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, This is where divers have found what looks like a yellow brick road that, of course, goes to the city of Atlantis. It is about 50 or 60 miles, Brad, beneath beneath the surface. Could be more than that. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Um, But the researchers have spotted the formation. Deep sea divers have been down there. and They have confirmed that there is a yellow brick road that it leads to the city of Atlantis. Uh, It looks like paved cobblestones, of course. Um, and it's, of course, near the Papakamua Maria Marine uh, National Monument. That's PMNM in the Pacific Ocean and the exploration vessel Nautilus. The folks on the exploration vessel Nautilus research ship are the people that get uh, credit for finding this formation and describing it as a yellow brick road, the road to Atlantis. Um, so there it is, Brad. It looks like we have solved another mystery for the people out there. 
Oh, buddy, there you go. Did you say that it is 50 or 60 miles below the surface of the ocean? No, I didn't say that. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, because I... It's deep. I said it's deep. It's deep. That would be deep. That would be remarkably deep. Uh, I think it's fitting that there's a yellow brick road that goes to Atlantis. I mean, if there's one that's going to go to Oz, then Atlantis should get one as well. I'm a bit intrigued that they had a temple to the god Poseidon, which did not seem to do them any good, right? I mean, you would have thought if you wanted to avoid the ocean overwhelming your city and then subsequently burying it under, you know, miles of ocean water, then Poseidon would be the guy you'd want to talk to, but that didn't seem to work out. Yeah, apparently the whole Isle of Atlantis, this is something that's still subject to further research, but there was a volcanic eruption and then the island sank, like at the end of the movie, Joe versus the volcano, where the uh, native tribe on the uh, Isle of Pualua um, went down with the island, including the late great uh, character actor, Abe Vigoda, who was playing the chief of that tribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great movie, great role for Abe. And, but I'm glad we got this behind us. I mean, there are rare indeed is the day that I don't sit consternated and wonder where the hell is Atlantis and shouldn't we be able to follow a yellow brick road to it and now we, A, know the answer to the question, and B, yes, we can. Absolutely. So, uh, well, you know, I, think, uh, I think, once again, we've done not only our listeners and studio audience, but uh, the world at large a great favor here. And for those of you at home who have volumes on Atlantis, who uh, have talked about it, you need to discuss it no more. Uh, the, uh, the, it, has been, uh, it has been found in the Lulipani Kani circle. Uh, There it is, Brad. Next, uh, we go to, of course, we promised everyone that in addition to solving the most important mysteries of the world, we would also be monitoring election 2022. Obviously, it's very important that we have good candidates uh, to take up arms, not literally against disinformation boards and crazy leftists. Uh, Well, this week, Brad, I present to you Republican Andrew Willite, who um, is uh, um, a candidate for the um, uh, township board in Clinton, Indiana. Again, a very important position. Uh, Andrew Willite uh, was recently in the Republican primary election, and he, uh, I'm proud to say, Brad, uh, was successful um, uh, and uh, won the primary, and he will now stand in the general election uh, for a seat on the Clinton township board in Clinton, Indiana. All right. Well, good for him. Unfortunately, Brad, Andrew couldn't make his um, couldn't make his uh, his big victory party. You may uh, ask why. Why, David? Brad, he's in jail. Uh, He is Andrew's (laughs) been in jail for several weeks for, quote, brutally murdering his uh, cancer stricken wife. Um, He was charged several weeks ago, but that didn't stop the folks from. the county of Clinton uh, to sending him up and uh, you know, God willing, he'll, he'll serve a full four years on the uh, township board. There is nothing in the bylaws, by the way, that says he can't do this from prison because I'm assuming for the brutal murder of his wife, he'll be serving more than four years. Well, buddy, I, I am, I am hopeful that there is a timing issue here, right? So was the election held prior to it becoming a matter of public knowledge that Mr. Will Height killed his wife. 
Apparently not, Brad. Apparently when the um, body of his wife was found, um, they approached Mr. Wilhite, who was, I believe, at his campaign headquarters or may have been at a Starbucks. And uh, he admitted to, quote, throwing a flower pot at his wife's head, which killed her. And then he drove to a local bridge over a creek, uh, perhaps Tippecanoe Creek in Indiana, and uh, dumped the body over the side of the bridge. Uh, So that all happened well in advance of this primary election. So listen. Listen, buyer beware. The government was uh, the the voters were aware of this and they've decided to look past it um, in an effort to uh, have uh, Andrew Willahite represent them at the uh, Clinton Township Board. Well, buddy, I guess there you go. I mean, the uh, the people have spoken. I, I, I don't know much about the Clinton Township or its board, maybe throwing flower pots at people's heads is a key aspect of the way they manage their government. I mean, maybe that's how they resolve issues. And they decided, hey, this guy is a proven winner when it comes to flower pot hurling. I, I, I don't know, but I do think that it is, again, an indication that we perhaps don't have our best and brightest out there running for elected offices in this country. Yeah, listen, though, he he uh, there are several things to unwrap here. Um, the, uh, the first, the the folks, election experts in the state of Indiana, including one Brad King, no relation, the co-director of the Indiana Election Division, uh, you know, said that uh, the, uh, the, the the there is no law barring anyone who is jailed ahead of trial from exercising the duties of their office. So he can certainly exercise the duties while he is um, uh, waiting for trial um, to uh, look at the numbers. Uh, there are three candidates who ultimately get elected to this board. The uh, other two got 110 and 106 votes. Andrew got 60. There is no Democratic opposition in this county, so he automatically goes through and serves. And in terms of the whole misunderstanding with his wife, Brad, apparently he was having an extramarital affair. She confronted him with it. Uh, he threw a flower pot at her, killed her, and then dumped her over the side of a bridge. He originally told the police that... Um, uh, he had uh, not seen his wife at the home when he left for work one day, but then he changed his uh, version of events and fully admitted what he had done, probably because he knew he was going to win that election. But, uh, you know, that's um, that's that's some story. And, uh, you know, again, this is a big election. Yeah, well, sounds like a hell of a guy. I hope the people of Clinton Township uh, get exactly what they've voted for. But anyway, Brad, we will move on to something a little more pleasant. The big lawsuit between Josh Lambu um, against the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer, the former coach. Of course, you know that Urban Meyer, Brad, uh, went up to the kicker after a missed kick early in the season during practice. The stretching portion of practice uh, kicked him in the leg and said, hey, dipshit, make your effing kicks. Uh, And then he walked away. Um, and Lambeau responded by telling Meyer never to kick him again. And then Meyer said, I'll kick you whenever the F I want and kicked him again. And then I believe he cut him. Uh, so Brad, uh, if this is the standard for, then uh, this kicker was making you know several million dollars, by the way, if this is the standard now to file a suit where a you know, pampered NFL kicker can't even get ribbed a little bit by his coach and physically abused, then really, where are we as a country? Well, I mean, I think I think that's a viable question. And I, th- I think really what it is, buddy, what this lawsuit represents is a call to arms. 
mean, it, we cannot allow this kind of thing to happen. I think we should be picketing Urban Meyer's house. I think we should be picketing Lambu's house. I think we should be picketing the stadium in which the Jaguars play. And we don't even have to understand why we're doing it. We don't have to understand the ramifications of the issues. We don't have to you know, truly know the people involved. We don't have to be aware of any of the facts. We don't have to be knowledgeable of the science underlying those facts, whether kicking is dangerous, not dangerous, why you can kick a football, but not the person kicking the football. I mean, doesn't that seem odd? Who's, who's defending the football? Maybe we should picket the manufacturers of footballs because we're just willy-nilly kicking them. And don't they have rights? And if they don't the have shoes. rights, why do the kickers shoes. have rights? The shoes. shoes are injured in this process, I'm sure. That there are we barefoot kickers. Shoe manufacturers. Barefoot why kickers. are there barefoot kickers, given that there are shoes? Is no one investigating this? I mean, these are all issues that are all together and separately calls to arms. And people need to start paying attention to these things and people need to start, you know, yelling about them and creating signs and marching around each other's houses. If you see someone wearing a shoe today, you should tell them what you think about them. Right? No, I think that's exactly right. Them. And listen, Brad, one thing we need to make clear, and this is something that's sort of unprecedented in the world. We run a technology company, of course, for those of you playing the home game, y'all know this. Uh, and uh, uh, at the company, we have elected to go into the last, I, I believe, Brad, we are you know soon to be entering our 10th season uh, and we have never carried a kicker on our roster. And if we did and he missed the kicks, then I think it's perfectly appropriate to kick that kicker. But you and I have never employed a kicker. No, and nor do we intend to. I mean, we may have kicked a different type of employee at one point or another. I mean, that's neither here nor there. And Neither here, neither Probably there. not something we want to talk about. We go for two, Brad. We go for two. That's the message. We, we typically do. Two. Yeah, we typically go for two. That way we don't need a kicker. And then when it comes time to kick off, we just don't. Yeah. We just look at the opposing team and say, what are you going to do about it? So come get the ball. The team. We, don't have a, we don't have a kicker. You're going to have yeah. to come get it yourself. We're not doing it. We're not doing a job a for you. Then it's a muckle. Yeah, then it's a muckle or a ruck, something of that nature. It, it, it defaults to Australian rules football at that point. Mm -hmm. Brad, as you know, we have been talking for many uh, years now about the whereabouts of uh, miss, missing London resident Roy Biggs, who had been missing since 2012. Roy, of course, an elderly man who enjoyed a pint now and again. He has now been found uh, a decade after he vanished uh, in a freezer of an abandoned pub. He was frozen solid. Um, police believe that he would have been 70 years old when he died, making him 80 if he had lived. But of course, he hadn't. Um, but yeah, construction workers found him. So that cold case is solved. Buddy, that's good work out of you. I'm, I'm a little confused. So he was in the freezer mm -hmm. of an abandoned pub, and yet the freezer must have been running because he was frozen solid. Mm. Well, I mean, I am, I am extrapolating that from the story. It didn't say necessarily that he was frozen solid, although he was in a freezer. So I would assume yeah, well, he was frozen. I mean, yeah, that's a legitimate logical leap that you've taken there. Yeah. Was uh, this gentleman dead before they put him in the freezer? Did anyone figure this out or did he die in the freezer or was he alive in the freezer for a while and join himself? Uh, we don't have any of that figured out yet. But again, Brad, with the, this is a new segment. So you're new to this. With most cold cases, you just sort of walk away when you find the, find the corpse. Brad, next, uh, as you know, you and I are both lovers of animals, uh, big and big and small. Um, and uh, this week, uh, the world is stopping in its tracks to celebrate Toby Keith. One word, the uh, world's oldest living chihuahua. 
Um, he is a celebrity. He became the oldest living dog in the world this past, uh, this past uh, week when a Rottweiler living somewhere in the Himalayas, I guess, dropped, uh, dropped dead. Uh, but, uh, this dog is celebrated his 21st birthday and, um, it, people are amazed because the average lifespan of a Chihuahua, Brad is 12 to 18 years old. Um, and at this point, uh, Toby Keith at 21 is uh is older than that and in fact the oldest dog of its kind it's now in the guinness book of world Rec- records as the oldest dog and they actually put it in like a little uh a tutu uh for the birthday the secret to his longevity or her longevity is uh exercise healthy genetics and a diet of vegetables rice and chicken uh, and of course, a loving home and the occasional Trisket. Uh, so Brad, Toby Keith, uh, what can this uh, teach small business owners? Well, I mean, one, the advantage of a healthy diet and the occasional wearing of a tutu. And, and don't be afraid to do that. I mean, if you are running a small business, it is fine for your employees to occasionally see you in a tutu. And if you can command their respect while eating vegetables, rice and chicken and wearing a tutu and calling yourself Toby Keith, then you have mastered the art of running a small business. Well, buddy, there it is. It's the end of yet another very fine program. We have launched ourselves strongly. Some might go so far as to say boldly into 2023. We will be here every week of this year alongside you to get you through it. And we will see you right here again next week on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.